Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. So Pentecost started as a feast. Some of you now know why you're Pentecostal. I like Pentecost. It started as a meal. I've heard my whole life. I've I've heard ever since I was a young child, I've heard people say, well, we're going to go eat. And then they would say, we are Pentecostal. And they said it almost joking, almost not meaning to sound derogatory, but it was this like, well, yeah, we eat. But I want to say, we don't just go eat because we love food. We eat because we believe in the breaking of bread and fellowship. The breaking of bread and fellowship. Something I want to challenge our church is not to utilize Sunday evenings as a way to send your kids here, your wife here, you here. I'm challenging families to be together. And if you say, well, I'm a single adult, then I'm challenging you to link up with some other single adults from the church and bring your family together. I would love that some of our families are connecting with other families and breaking bread. Well, why would we do that? Same reason they did in the book of Acts, because we are like-minded believers. I have found neighbors that I could not get to church, I could get to mind to my house. It's amazing. Same way food is a common denominator for us, it's a common denominator for others. When I was first starting youth ministry, I found that when they did not want my message, Brother Shonk, they did want my pizza. Here's pizza. We usually, they ate the pizza, they got the gospel shoved at them. <laughs> But some people don't know until they taste and see that the Lord, (laughs) he's good too. He's good too. And so it started as a Pentecost. God wanted the Israelites to appreciate the things that he had done for them. How many adults? We're in the adult class this morning. How many adults like when the younger generation shows appreciation? Let's not let the words thank you be lost. Every now and then, if you give your child something and they don't say thank you, take it back. I'm serious. Take it back. I have been known to say, well, you're not getting anything. Why? You didn't even say thank you last time. I meant to say thank you. Well, you should have meant to say it. And you should have said it. Don't just mean to say it, but say it. So the Lord instituted these seven annual religious festivals that would take place in the Feast of Pentecost was one of those holy ordained days to help them celebrate a couple things. This is very important. They're celebrating the harvest and they're celebrating the giving of the Mosaic Law. 
They're thankful for the law. I want to tell you, we're still thankful for the law. They were to be thankful for the law, and they were to be thankful for the harvest. Thank God. We don't want to be given harvest and not take time to celebrate and to be thankful for it. Why? Because Pentecost, if you're taking notes, Pentecost was designed to cause people to cherish the provision of God. So the same way that we sometimes get frustrated if the younger kids don't say thank you, I wonder if the Lord sometimes is like, say thanks. Say thanks. It's His good pleasure to bless us. Yeah, it is. But we enter into His presence. We enter into His presence with thanksgiving. We enter into His courts with praise. Amen. So it was to celebrate the harvest and it was to celebrate the giving of the law, to commemorate the giving of the law. It was emphasizing that that law was a gift from God. Find three people and tell them the law was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. It was intended to help humanity live in a God-pleasing way with their morals and their values. How many know they didn't always do a bang-up job, though? It was there to help them, but sometimes it's hard. Well, I don't know why they just couldn't live the law. When's the last time you sped? As I return to my teaching here, I don't know why they just couldn't live the law. How many know every now and then it's easier said then, okay, feel a little nervous energy in the room right now. We should celebrate, ladies and gentlemen, even in 2022, in regards to Pentecost, we should celebrate, we should celebrate both his provision, yes, but also his principles. It is easier to celebrate his provision than his principles. We know that. No one ever gets ecstatic about his rules especially when we call them rules. No one ever gets it, but let, let someone receive some calls. I've received in two different miraculous testimonies this morning. Miraculous testimony. The kind of testimonies that I go, whoa, praise God. And I'm shouting and I'm rejoicing and, I, and, and I'm like, but I've got to tell you, I also spent time in the text this morning and I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't, when I was reading, I was in the Old Testament for a little while this morning, and I didn't stand up off my couch and go, praise God. Pastor, you're telling on yourself. I'm telling on all of us. It's easier to praise him for his provision than his principles. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to be thankful for his principles. I want to talk just a little bit about the Old Covenant. We talk sometimes about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This, this thing that we've been given, this, this opportunity to come together with the church, the way that we kind of institute, what did they do in the Old Testament? What did they then do in the New Testament? How do we mirror that? We know we come together as a body. We celebrate. We worship. We give our tithes. We give our offerings. We come together. We, we do it in both his provision and we do it in principle. We bring these things together. But the Old Covenant, it seemed to be highlighting something, and unfortunately, it was 
man's inconsistency. The, the fickleness of people, if you will. Although God's laws given through Moses, they were good and they were, they were right. The law seemed to underscore the depravity of humanity. What do you mean, pastor? It means they just kept messing up. Well, I think a lot of us in this room have that track record. <laughs> I can't understand. I've, I've mentioned this before, but Brother Roman, sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I'm like up and down and up and down. It's like a kindergarten class. Like, why can't you just stand in line? Where's our, we got some teachers in the room that have tried to just get them from the classroom to the bathroom and back. You've always got that one kid. Just get in the line. Just get in the line. Just get in the line. For the love of God, just get in the line. You know, teachers need timeouts too. Parents need timeouts too. But it was showing their, their depravity. I'm I'm, I want to tell you, though, what the old covenant was really showing. This is critical for everyone to catch. What it was really showing, and unless you read the Old Testament in this light, you miss it. It was showing their need for the promised Messiah. It was showing that the law alone was not enough. There was a need. Brother Clymer from the Old Testament, there was this need for the Holy Ghost. They needed the Spirit of God. They needed a promised Messiah. They needed a sacrificial offering more than a lamb that would roll it back. Now I want to tell you, thank God he provided a way for a lamb to be offered and sin to be rolled back. Imagine reading the Old Testament without that. Try to read the Old Testament without blood. It's impossible. But it was a setup leading towards the promise of the Messiah. Everybody say the promise. They were waiting on this. So go in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and we're going to read verses 31 through 34. Now, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, they're going to put this up on the screen for you. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet. He is speaking as, as, as God breathes the word. It is God-inspired word. He is speaking through the prophet. We know that, that uh, it would later be wrote in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as moved by the Holy Ghost. So he is writing under this inspiration that there is a new covenant coming. Let's read verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Everyone say break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, write it 
in their hearts. That is a critical line there by the prophet Jeremiah. And will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them, very important language there, from the least of them unto the greatest of them. This is preemptive. Pentecost is going to be a celebration for everyone. The least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now let me bring some sense of differentiation, if I can, between the Old and the New uh, Covenant. The law, specifically, was going to be written in the minds of people. Okay, Jeremiah 31 and 33, God had promised, I put my law in their minds. That's, that's how it's translated in the NKJV. I'm, I'm putting it in their minds. I'm placing it there. We're knowing it. Their list, these, these, the, this moral compass, these principles, as it were. This, this verse is pointing out and, and kind of given this divine understanding and from reading the text, it's foreshadowing concepts like Paul was later going to write in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 about the renewing of your mind. How many has ever had to pray, God, renew my mind? I'm not embarrassed to tell you. There's been plenty of times when I went ahead and just did this right here. God, I want you to renew my mind. I want right thinking. I want, here's what I believe. I want right thinking in a wrong world. I want to think godly. So how do I, how do, I do that? I've got to make sure that I get into my mind his word. I've got to make sure that I battle against the outside elements of the world like we're starting in our series on Wednesdays about being strangers and exiles. I've got to get this word into my mind because God longs for something with every person in this room, a genuine relationship. The same way that it is not God's desire for any marriage represented in this room for you to have a marriage license but not a marriage. You live in the same house, but you don't really live together. All right. It's not the will of God any more than it is us saying that we are Christians, but we're not actually followers. If I'm a follower of Christ, I better make sure it's Christ I'm following. Amen. We've got to be careful what we, what we do, what we say, how we act. When we say we follow Christ or that we are Christians, that we are believers, why? Because it's supposed to set us up, follow me as I follow him. Amen? So the law was, was written there, meant to be written in our, in our minds. But also, let's look at it here, to be written in our hearts the phrase, write it in our hearts, it speaks of the experience of the new covenant. The new covenant was going to allow humanity to experience God in a new way. Thank God for, for what we've had in this foundational truth, but it was all leading towards this new covenant. And the verse that I even quoted earlier from Psalm chapter 34, to taste and see that the Lord was good. I don't I don't want you to simply tell me about ice cream. I'd like to have some. The worst thing we could ever do as a church 
is to market something we cannot offer. Woo! I'm not preaching right now, but I feel like it. I don't want to market what we cannot actually give to people. I don't want to say, come experience a move of the Holy Ghost unless we intend on having the kind of church and the kind of move of God where people can, in fact, experience a move of the Holy Ghost. So, so the psalmist, when he writes in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Brother Zach, it is telling them, it is preemptively speaking to their and really prophetically uttering to them, he is tangible. He can be experienced. Now, we believe that. You believe that. If you didn't think that God could be experienced, you wouldn't be here today. You're here because you know that he can. How many of Let's just pull the crowd. How many of you got here early so you could get your donut? Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Yep, thank you. How many of you got here early so you could get some coffee? Yeah, look at the hands. You know what? You're not wrong. Only people that are wrong are the ones that didn't raise their hand, and they know I'm talking to them right now. Didn't want to raise your hand about a donut because you thought people would label you. Now God labeled you for not raising your hand, but that's... Why? Some of you in this room, you have your special place to get coffee. For a lot of you, that's at home. How many in here use a Keurig? Look at you. Keurig has done well with Calvary Tabernacle. Keurig. Somebody in here should have bought stock in Keurig. How many, anybody here have a Breville? You have a Breville. You like to make coffee? Yeah. So more than I would have thought. Okay. How many of you, you got to go to Starbucks? Be honest. You go to Starbucks. Come on, don't be embarrassed. No one's going to throw stones at you. I saw some people go. <laughs> You'd like your place to go. Listen, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. When it, comes, when it comes to tasting, we actually begin to acquire particular taste buds. For the person, when you were a kid and your parents said, eat your vegetables. Oh, I ate my vegetables. The only reason you liked broccoli was because of cheese. Cheese is broccoli's best friend. So glad my parents are here today. When I was a kid, my, my mom put broccoli. But if she put that cheese stuff by it, bring. I like broccoli. Give me some broccoli cheese, hold the broccoli. Sorry to all my lactose intolerant friends. But it was a matter of tasting in the acquired I want to tell you something that I think most of you have found. The more I partake of him, the better he is. I mean, the more I feast on his promises, the more I spend time in his word, the more I spend time in his presence. You know like I do, I'm not dumbing this down. It doesn't mean that every day is easy, but the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and it was trying to get it from just the, just the head into the heart, but it has to be developed through personal experience and personal encounters. That's why we do a few things here. A, or number one, we worship passionately. Why do you do that? Because we're believers. Because Brother Roberts, we're believers. We're believers. Number two, we respond with our God-given emotions to the preached and the taught word of God. 
Why are you so emotional? I don't know. Ask him why he made us this way. Now, some are more emotional than others. Some people cry at the drop of a hat. You know who you are. Don't get teared up over that. Some people laugh a lot easier than others. Some people are always smiling. Some people smile so much it annoys you. You don't know who you are, but we do. Um, so when we come in, why do you clap your hands? Because the Bible says, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Why do you shout? Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Because he gave me these emotions. And I don't think he gave me anything for me to tell him he can't have it back. I've given him my whole life. So I cannot give him my life and reserve my emotions to myself. Allow the Spirit of God, the third thing, to both minister and mold us. That's why it's not just in our congregational gatherings that we should be believers. But as a believer, I stay on the potter's wheel, so to speak, even when I leave this place. That's part of what this new covenant is all about. Not just in my head for a list of rules, but in my heart. Because it, it, it pushes to every part of who and what I am. The same way that your heart pumps blood to every part of your anatomy, working through making sure that oxygen is reaching the brain and making sure that, that it gets through every vein and every part of your... You know that if blood stops flowing to any part of your body, that part of your body dies. And if we ever get to a place where the gospel is in our minds but not our hearts, get ready. Get ready. because Man, I feel something all of a sudden right there. If we get to a place where it's in our minds and we can theologically argue what we cannot emotionally live, I'll be able to give it to him in my mind, but the blood will stop flowing to my feet, so I'll think God's real, but I won't let my feet carry me to church. I'll know that God's real, but the blood will stop flowing to my hands, so I'll stop giving like I should. Man, I feel something right now. I feel a touch. I want us to lift our hands in this moment, and I want us to ask God... Lodge in our hearts. Somebody ask God, not just in my mind, but lodge in my heart. Ooh, I feel a witness of the Spirit of God in this place right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody tell him that. Lodge in my, in my heart. Let it be written in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just do that and clap our hands under the Lord and somebody tell him that you love him. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Amen. And so I am thankful for the new covenant. We should all be thankful for the new covenant because it gives us that opportunity and it challenges us as individual Believers, nudge your neighbor, tell them that means you. It means you. So what does he expect of us? Can you put Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 on the screen? And if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. It's the, it's the book right after Acts. Just in case you don't know, I mean that genuine. I'm sorry. Romans 8 and verse 37, Paul 
is writing here, trying to give them understanding regardless of situation, right after he has said, what can separate us from the love of Christ, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, none of those things, okay? Here's what he said in verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are what? We are more than conquerors. Why? Because he loved us. He's writing to them in Rome. We, we, we've, we've been discussing this, this Roman Babylon. It's amazing how all of this is intertwined. But he's writing to them in this situation and saying, regardless of what you deal with, you are more, more than a conqueror. Now in my book, just being the conqueror is pretty good. Brother Robeson, if we play checkers, I want to win. I'm just telling you. I plan on winning. At some point during our game of checkers, Brother Robeson, I want to be able to say, king me. Some of you are thinking, I haven't played checkers in 100 years. We're play I want to win. But some of you in this room, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you want to win. You want to be the conqueror. You want to be the winner. But he said, this is not meant to be an earthly thing. You are more, more than conquerors. Ladies and gentlemen, lest we ever spend our time comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. That's not what this is about. We are more than conquerors. He didn't say that famine or tribulation or distress or any of those things in Romans 8 he's writing about. He's not saying, Brother Honeycutt, that they will not occur. He's just saying, in spite of all these things, he loves his people. And because he loves you, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. And we've got to be reminded of that. We have, to, we have to understand that. So how does God allow this to be written on our heart? Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Somebody said, well, I've never, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit, but I've heard of the Holy Ghost, or vice versa. Just in case you don't know, that's the same thing. Well, I like the Holy Spirit more. I've had people come to me and tell me things like this over the years. Well, I think the Holy Spirit, I like that language better. To which I say, then use that language. I had somebody one time very passionately come to me and say, I think we should only say Holy Ghost. And I said, you should probably say Holy Ghost. But if you're mad when someone says Holy Spirit, you should probably evaluate your Holy Ghost. Those are the kind of things I like to say and then act busy and walk. Just <laughs> You ever answer your call when no one called? I, I got to take this. <laughs> the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. I want to boil this down. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God. It is the very same reason that Matthew says that Mary was found with, hmm, she was found with child of what? The Holy 
Ghost. The Holy Spirit has conceived this in her. And somebody said, well, what about God the Father? Good news. God the Father is that same Spirit. The Spirit of God. And she is found with child of the Holy Ghost. If you ever want someone that is... Well, let me go on. It's a good way to confuse someone that's trying... Just ask them how the Father and the Holy Spirit are the same person. And when they deny, you take them to Matthew 1.18. It'll make for a fun conversation for you. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me clearly. Our job is not to win arguments. Our job is to reach for souls. (laughs) To reach for souls. So you'll see on the screen here, Pentecost in the Old Testament... It it also marks that day that Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai, written on those tables of stone. So we see that in the Old Testament, and we're thankful for that. But Pentecost in the New Testament writes the day that the law of God is written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. So thank God for what was written on tables of stone. But he was trying to put a new heart within us. I don't want to just hear about how to live for him. I want to live. For him. That's what Pentecost is all about. God chooses the day of Pentecost, following Jesus' ascension as the chosen time to fulfill his promise to come and to dwell within believers. There's, it's the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises. It's, it's one that we've just recently read here from Jeremiah. All these promises that were coming. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're going to read about it before we begin to put the landing gear down. So open your Bibles to Acts the second chapter on this day of Pentecost as we teach through this. How many remember that, that, that song we used to sing real, real frequent in the church? I've got the Holy Ghost. Devin, I know you sing. Yeah. Down in my soul. Just like what? Okay, so since the Bible says it, let's read about it. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one a place. It's amazing in these verses. It says all in one over and over. Unity matters. Unity matters. It really does. It matters more that we're unified with God than anything else. But secondarily, it matters that we're united with each other. Commonality, working together. Number two, or verse two. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all, there it is again, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? The Spirit gave them utterance. Not simply ability, but utterance, okay? So when they were filled with the Spirit of God, we have this like as fire, this rushing mighty wind that fills all of it, and there appears unto them the cloven tongues like as a fire. It always boggles some people because we have our systematic ways that we think we pray people through, and it boggles some of us when we go back. What we can quote, we don't always read, Because when they received the Holy Ghost, they were sitting 
When's the last time you were to a sitting altar call? Some of you are like, well, I sit through every altar. Listen, so, <laughs> okay. But they were sitting there and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is poured out upon them. And what happens? Cloven tongues like as a fire. But now they were all filled, filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to do what? Speak with other tongues. Glossolalia, the, the speaking of another language. It's, a, it's an absolute theological minefield of study. But what happens in Acts 2, this inception of the church is supernaturally, boom, when the Holy Spirit, the same promise that we preached about last week from this platform, why stand ye here gazing? And they had to march to Jerusalem and gather in the upper room and begin waiting and preparing. Now the Holy Spirit has moved, but it did not come upon tables of stone. It came inside of them, for the Lord had spoken to them already and said, I have been with you, but I will be in you. With and in is totally different. You say, well, I'm not sure that it is. Next time you go to lunch, just let your lunch be with you instead of in you. See if you still leave as satisfied. For every person that tells me they don't need the Holy Spirit inside, and I've had some of these conversations, well, I've got the Holy Ghost with me. I don't know about you guys in this infilling thing. Really? Don't drink that water. Just put it in front of you. I'm thinking quench. I'm thinking quenching thoughts. Well, good luck. Dehydration's on its way. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, they had to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and so do we. So do we. Why did he choose, why did he choose the evidence of speaking in other languages? Well, remember that their dwelling at Jerusalem are devout men out of every nation. They're from all over the place. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about it in the preaching next Next session, we'll see. But dwelling all from all over the place are all of these different men. And they are, they're astounded when they pile out into the streets and they say, how do we hear them speaking? Every man, aren't all these which speak Galileans? How then do we hear them speak in our own language? So, so, so let's say it in, in such a way that, that we would be at a, a gathering here. And, and here we all are, all Americans, but gathered around us. We have all these different nations, all these different places. And we've got people that speak French. And we've got people that speak Swahili. And we have people that speak German. And, we have, and all of a sudden, all the English-speaking people now, under a supernatural moment, begin speaking all these languages. In this moment of Acts 2, they're all nudging each other and saying, aren't all these which speak Galileans? How then do we hear them speaking in our... And the people were wondering, how are they magnifying God in a language that is new to us? It was not a language they had been taught. Most of these were unlearned, uneducated men as it pertained to some kind of secular education or even theological instruction. It was absolute dynamics of the Spirit where they were moved upon by the Spirit and they began to speak. You've heard me say this many times and I'm going to keep saying it so that people understand it. It was a language they had never cursed in. It was a language they had never talked back in. It was a language that they had never been demeaning in. 
It was a supernatural. Why, Pastor Carson, did that have to happen? And why would it continue to happen through the New Testament? And why now somehow is it happening more rapidly than ever in our world's history? I'll tell you why. Because once he gets your tongue, it's pretty obvious he got you. For, for posted throughout the portals of the text is this timeless truth that the tongue is like this rudder that can turn a great ship. And if you turn this little tongue, that's why the power of life and death is in the tongue. And all of a sudden... Well, why did he use this supernatural mechanism? Why did he use this, this type of speech? What happened? As soon as they were astounded by the speech, it gave him precedent to stand up and begin preaching to them. It drew the crowd into an awareness that something was happening. Well, didn't some mock? Absolutely. And some always will mock. But the Mm -hmm. But the moving forward of the church has never been stopped by those who mock the church. The church marches forward on the orders of God, not based upon whether or not approve. God is not setting up in heaven hoping that people will like him. His expectation is that believers will love him and follow him. But if somebody shows up and mocks what's being done, God's not like, well, I guess we can't have church anymore. And can I tell you something? We shouldn't be either. We shouldn't be either. And so here we are, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and it's working, it's changing. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 says that it is a better covenant. It is a better covenant to be able to walk in the newness of life. And what does he give them? Brother Ross, he gives them the power now to be witnesses. And I'm going to give you a setup because I'm pretty excited to preach about a dude named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 here in our main worship service in about 15 minutes or so. Because we're going to find out the Holy Ghost is for everybody. <laughs> it's for Everybody, stand with me. They're pricked in their heart all of a sudden. How'd they get pricked in their heart? Well, they were all astounded. Somebody said they were drunk. He said, they're not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So we've talked about Joel. We talk about Jeremiah. It's all in alignment with the prophecies. Here they are in this place where the, the prophecies have brought it together in the fruition, the completion of all of this. It's culminated here with Pentecost and they begin, it's, it's been poured out. They've spoken other language and now Peter stands up and begins to preach unto them because they asked a simple question. What was that question? Men and brethren, if you know it, say it. What shall we do? That's what they asked. And Peter said, I'm glad you asked. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. I've got news for you. You've got to have faith. They that come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You've got to have faith, but then you've got to repent. 
Every person must repent. Well, I don't want to. Well, you need to repent of not wanting to. We've all got to repent because he's calling us to not just tables of stone, but to a heart that has his word on it, to repent and live like him. If you're in this room today and you've never been baptized by immersion, that just means going all the way under the water, in the name of Jesus Christ, I must teach you, it's the only way they baptized in the New Testament. It's absolutely the only way. Even though church uh, history has tried to change it, there was a time when even every Encyclopedia Britannica was printing it. it. Now I know some of the Orthodox got mad about it and said, get that out of that book. Sorry for being accurate. But it's the only way they baptized. And you can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, Acts 2 says ye shall. And when you receive it, you'll know. Because you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Nobody will tell you what to say. Nobody will have to. You say, wait a minute, it's not logical. It doesn't need to be logical. It's the Spirit of God that comes and dwells in us. Hey, I'm thankful for Pentecost. <laughs> I'm thankful for Pentecost. Let's magnify God together. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We thank you for Pentecost. Amen. Now, we've got about a 15-minute break where you can use the restroom. If you need to get a fresh cup of coffee, I don't know what it, but, but I do need to say something. If you got kids, we're going to need you to get those kids. Okay? They're going to be coming to the cafeteria here. You'll be able to pick those up starting in about 60 seconds. So we're trying to time this for you. 15 minutes from now, the main service is going to begin. God bless you.